Hello and welcome to the Dancers Podcast. I am your host, Dan Donahue. Uh, this is very exciting. I put out a little message before this live started, and I said if we get 25 more followers on YouTube, I will do the podcast today because I, I didn't know if I had enough time, and I was kind of on the fence about it, so I was like, let's do that. And uh, we tripled that, which makes me realize that my uh, lack of confidence is really digging into my potential numbers here. But thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, this is the live podcast. I post it afterwards uh, on Spotify and everywhere. But uh, we do it live, and we do it live because I like the interactive nature of doing it live. I like talking to all of you. I like the fact that some of you are out of your mind, and that makes me feel good. Before we start the episode, I'd just like to do a couple announcements. I am going to be doing stand-up comedy in Des Moines and in the OC. And some of you may go, Dan, what a strange pairing for a tour. Why would you do Des Moines and also the OC? Is it possibly because you struggle to find places that will have you do stand-up comedy there, so you need to kind of stretch and need to kind of take any gig that you get because you're a grubby little pig in the dirt. And to you I say, well, you didn't have to make the animal analogy. And also the answer is no. That run, the Des Moines to the OC run, all right, it's a famous run. Many comics before me have made it. Jake the Snake Plisket when he was doing stand-up. Stormy Daniels when she was doing stand-up. They all made that run, and I'm... I'm happy to be added to that pantheon of stand-up comedians. Also, the Patreon link is going to be below. Anyway, forget all that. Forget all the promotion. Let's get into the episode. I went for a run today. First time I went for a run in a really long time. And this is one of the few runs. Now, usually when I go for a run, I, uh, I have to force myself to do it. I... I'm wearing kind of whatever clothes I was wearing. It it was it's an impulse run usually. I'm usually running completely out of raw impulse, animal emotion. So I'm usually out there jogging in jeans and a button up and one of those weird crooners hats, and I'm smoking a cigar. That's usually how I go running. This time it was different. This time I had everything. I had headphones on. I had sunglasses on. Every single one of my senses that is there to detect cars was limited greatly, which means you're ready for a run. And I had my I had my shorts. I had my running shoes. Ooh, baby, we were ready to rip it and rock it and roll it, right? We were ready to take on the world. And I was running. Oh, boy, was I feeling good. I was feeling so good on this run. I was feeling like I was preparing for five marathons in a row. I could do I could do an, an octagon of marathon, okay, which is a, that's a coveted. Only, only 15 men have ever done that, the marathon octagon. And I was ready to throw my hat in that ring. That's where you win eight marathons, and then you look in the mirror, and you ask yourself why why you do this. That's that's a new fitness challenge I want to do. It's where you do a, a thousand burpees, and then you do a thousand push-ups, and then you run a thousand miles, and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize what childhood scar caused you to do all that. That's just my new that's my new idea. But uh I was going for a run and I was feeling really good. I was feeling, I will go as far as to say great on this run. And I, I was just cruising. You ever, you ever run and you, oh, you feel like you're just, you're just, you got a roller skate on one foot, ice skate on the other foot and you're just gliding, baby. And I was like, maybe I should run a marathon. I caught my reflection in a building's mirrored window and I realized, oh, I'm walking. I am pretty much walking right now. There is a very, very thin line separating my jog from just I am on a stroll to the supermarket. Not even not even to somewhere I'm excited about where I would kind of pick my pace up a little bit, okay? Not to 
Not like I parked and I'm walking to a bar to go on a date I'm excited about. No, I'm like walking to a, a place I don't even want to be. That's how slow I was going. But felt felt not too bad. Felt not too bad. I also wanted to say, before we get the podcast started and people start adding their questions, advice to the chat, I wanted to say, I watched a video about Keanu Reeves. And obviously everyone knows who Keanu Reeves is, a famous actor, a famous action hero. I didn't know this about Keanu Reeves because I don't really watch a lot of Hollywood news. That doesn't make me cool. That doesn't make me better than anyone. It just means I don't watch any news at all. People can mistake their lack of uh, knowing a certain thing with coolness when really it is just an example of one of the many things I don't know about. It's not that I'm not watching Hollywood news because I have a lot of books to read. It's not that I have a lot of books on my table. It's not that I have to go to the bookstore and talk to the book clerk and check out a book. No, 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 no. I don't, uh, I don't follow Hollywood news the same way I don't follow literally anything ever at all. So that's where I'm at. But there's this uh, famous thing about Keanu Reeves where I, I watched a YouTube video about this uh, just recently. And Keanu Reeves is famous for being a regular ass dude. Now, this may not come as a shock to some of you. Some of you are aware of this. I had no idea. And I was looking at the examples that were given for Keanu Reeves being a regular ass dude and now there's a lot of uh talk of celebrities being normal and cool but most of the time when you look at that it's like the rock will pull up alongside a hollywood tour bus and be like hello it's me the rock and then the hollywood tour bus goes crazy and he's like ha 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 it's like that doesn't make you normal that just means The Rock knows he's a celebrity, which is pretty, uh, I mean, good for him for being aware of that, right? But uh, also, yeah, I, I really don't, uh, I really don't get how that's like the biggest uh, accomplishment of this man's career. But any, any hoozle, um, there's all these examples of the these celebrities doing quote-unquote normal stuff and it's usually not very normal it's usually uh it's usually incredibly abnormal right see this is someone threw in the chat stephen king is low-key stephen king is in a way low-key but if you knew stephen if you were friends with stephen king you would go stephen king is crazy and that's no insult to the man Okay, that's just who he is. He is a crazy guy. Stephen King, because I, I know of Stephen King because uh, I'm from New England and the legend of Stephen King's reclusivity is uh, very popular. You know, it was really funny to see him during the Trump presidency because forever there was this big myth about Stephen King being a Satanist and worshiping Satan and doing all of these uh, bad, bad things, right, uh, in terms of satanic ritual, which, you know, you, you know what, you be the judge of whether or not that's a bad thing, right? That's not, that's not for me. That's not for me to say, all right? That's for you. Um, but basically... Stephen King is, like, known for being this uh, satanic guy. And then during the Trump administration, he was just, like, very straightforward politically and was sharing his political opinions uh, in a very, like, outward, open way, which is just very interesting to me, where he went from being a Satanist to being, like, he should be impeached, which is not even saying he's right or wrong, but uh, it's just a very interesting pivot from reclusivity to he should be impeached. But, no, the, these celebrities, Stephen King, absolutely not a, uh, not normal people. Not normal people should not be considered normal people, should not be uh, talked about as normal people, right? Uh, they're, uh, they're 
insane people. Keanu Reeves, however, does seem to be a chill bloke from the videos that I have seen, which he he doesn't seem to curate these, right? They just they just make it out there. He seems to be kind of a normal feller, right? Like a a car backed into his motorcycle and he was like, "Yeah, don't worry about it." I actually, okay. Here here's a story for you folks. And uh I I'm not listen, I'm not within the Hollywood elite, right? I'm not a person who uh, is hobnobbing with celebrities. That's not me. I will sometimes be in the same buildings as them. That's where I'm at right now. I will very infrequently, but at times, be in the same buildings as celebrities. And this is a story of that. I was I was in the same building as a celebrity. Um, my friend... Ride rides his bike everywhere, and he was at the comedy store. And uh, as he was leaving, his bike wobbled, and he scratched a vintage, uh, refurbished Corvette. Scratch, scratched it like did body damage to this car with his bike. He just like veered right into it, really ripped into the side. And the security guard at the comedy store stops my friend. And goes, you cannot leave. We need to wait for the owner of this car to come out to let you know if he wants you to pay for the damages. Now, the damages of this to a car like that, if you are unaware, $20,000. Like, body damage to the car. This is a, like, unprecedentedly, like, vintage model car, which you see at the comedy store sometimes, right? So my friend's sitting there. He's shaking. He's so nervous. Uh, out out of the comedy store comes Joe Rogan. It was Joe Rogan's car, Joe, Joe Rogan's Corvette. He's a big car guy, right? Uh, and um, Rogan walks up to my friend. My friend has never met Rogan, but he hangs out along, around the comedy store a lot. And the security guard explains to him what happened. And Joe looks at my friend and says, you're a comic, right? And my friend says, yes. And he says, get, get out of here. You're fine. And I felt like that was really cool. Didn't fuss, didn't... F- For a celebrity to be normal, all you need to do is realize you're the richest person in the world and you don't have to worry about a lot. And I feel like that is a good marker for a normal human being. Keanu seems that way. Keanu, however, goes so above and beyond in being just a normal guy. Like, there's there's pictures of him that are so funny. I kind of did a deep dive in Keanu Reeves being normal. Um... There's photos of him eating a sandwich just on a park bench, just looking so, so freaking regular. It's awesome. He stops to take pictures with people, which is very nice. When he takes pictures with women, he tends to do this thing where he doesn't wrap his hand around out of respect. He will put his hand flat towards the camera. Sick move. Very Mr. Respect. I'm sure a lot of those women would love him to wrap his hand around. But Keanu is smart. Keanu goes, if one out of ten of these women would be uncomfortable with me wrapping the hand around, then I'll account for them, and it's no big loss to the other women if I just do this every time. Great. Smart guy. I feel like Keanu Reeves will do normal stuff and won't even know why he's doing it so normal. Like, I feel like you could catch Keanu Reeves at a bus stop and be like, Keanu, where are you going? And he'll be like, I don't know. He'll be like, are you taking the bus? He's like, yeah. And you'd be like, where, where is the bus going? He's like, I have no direction. But I love that. That's cool. So shout out Keanu Reeves, friend of the podcast. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Oh, we got a couple questions. Uh, throw your questions in the chat. I'm going to get to them one by one uh, in order. So throw them in now if you want them answered soon. I, I will say one more thing, one update before we get into the questions. As you all know, I have an upcoming uh, celebrity boxing match with Mitt Romney, former presidential candidate Mitt Romney. Um, And I just want to let you all know, I have messaged Mitt many times. I threw down a gauntlet. I've been messaging Mitt uh, with no response for many months about this. And in no uncertain terms, I he has the paperwork. Mitt, sign the paperwork, okay? So let's get this going. Let's let's get the fight that everyone wants to see. 
former presidential candidate Mitt Romney, boxing internet micro-celebrity Dan Donahue. It's what the people want, okay? The terms of the match are very clear. The winner gets Utah. Let's do it, buddy. Come on. And I know what a lot of people are saying. Dan, you're boxing Mitt Romney? How is that a fair fight? That's an incredibly unfair fight. Mitt Romney has at least two, three inches of height on you. And I say, I am willing to forego that incredible height advantage Mitt Romney has because I believe in myself. Sign the contract, Mitt. Hey, let's get some sign the contract mitts in the uh, in the chat, please. Uh, hey, it seems like your career is picking up a lot during the last months. Congrats on that. Well-deserved. Hey, I'm glad it seems like that. I'm glad it seems like that. Does it feel that way on my end? Sometimes, yes. Other times, no. But thank you, and I'm glad it seems that way. Um, let's see. Dan, I love your stuff. Tell us about how you feel about the upcoming alien arrival to Earth. What a great question. What a great question. That's a, that's a really wonderful question because it's something I haven't really put a lot of thought into, to be honest with you. There's a couple reasons I haven't put a lot of thought into it. I have, um, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, although here's, here's the kind of guy I am. I am the kind of guy who says, um, I am not a huge conspiracy theorist. And then I will rattle off several, uh, incredibly bizarre conspiracy theories. Um, I've, I've had an inkling that, you know, aliens were a thing for a while. I also don't know how... Whenever the government declassifies something, I'm always very skeptical. I don't ever if if the government is saying it, I'm always very skeptical. Could could it exist? Sure. Could it also be a distraction for other things? Sure. They've done it before. Um I'm I'm excited that there, you know, there's been uh signs and perhaps communications with extraterrestrials. I would like to think that if aliens uh, were to arrive to Earth, they would look at my posts on Instagram and also be confused and frustrated about them like some of the people in the comment section. I would love to see uh, among the various negative comments on my post a few in a indecipherable alien language that I take months and months and months to resolve and discover and figure out the etymology of and then when I finally translate it it just says not funny thumbs down I would love for that to be the case I'm excited to have a new audience if you're a comedian you need to see the aliens coming to earth as an opportunity which I do I see everything as an opportunity every new person I meet is just another opportunity <laughs> every person in my life is just another opportunity, okay? That's how I, that's the billion-dollar mindset, okay? If if you've ever met me, just know you are an opportunity in front of me, all right? And uh, I'm very excited for the aliens to be the next opportunity for me, so uh, I'm going to learn how to pander to them. A lot of people want to learn their language. A lot of people want to learn their anatomy. I want to learn how to pander to them comedically, Okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on stage like yo yo Mars is crazy and the aliens are gonna go <sighs> Yeah, I was dating this crazy girl. You know she was from Venus. <sighs> yeah, I was riding through Andromeda with my windows up, if you know what I'm saying. Just doing doing hack <laughs> hack alien comedy would be so fun. I would have so much fun doing that. Um, but great question. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to uh, start uh, putting my hat in the ring for alien stand up comedy. And uh, once they start paying me, uh, just just know my material might change up just a little bit. All right. Okay. Hey, Dan. Long-time listener. First-time question. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. That means that you're a long-time listener and also a coward like me. 
but you've overcome your cowardice. This is a very powerful jump off, and I haven't read your question yet, but I am going to be as, as lenient and just to you as I possibly can. Is there ever a case for overlapping in a relationship? Boy, did you make that hard for me. Boy, did you make my previous statement of being understandable to you incredibly hard. Uh, this may not be for you. This may be for a friend of yours. You might be asking, as, as many uh, questions of this nature are, it's for a friend. You're asking for a friend. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that you're asking for a friend. Okay? And I'm going to... Uh, answer as though you are asking for a friend. And let me just say, your friend might need to take a little bit of personal responsibility. Now, now, no, 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 no. I think we need to reserve calling things outright bad or evil, right? I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Howie. I am almost certain he is dead now. If he is not, it is a miracle of God and Satan working together because he was so old when he was a teacher. But um, I had a teacher, Mr. Howie, and Mr. Howie once uh, used a word or used a phrase that has stuck with me so distinctly. I'm sure I've said it before on this podcast. I will say it again on this podcast because it means so much to me. Reserve your superlatives. Reserve your superlatives. That means if you are a constant exaggerator, when you actually do want to make a statement that is big and bold and powerful, it's not going to seem as important. Okay? So I'm going to reserve my superlatives uh, because I if you have an overlapping in a relationship, there are many reasons you could give for such a thing being the case, okay? You could say that the relationship you were in is bad, okay? You could say the relationship you were in. But, but I mean, I, also, the, the answer is yes. I mean, there's a situation where I could definitely see an overlapping relationship being the case. Like, if you're in a, an abusive relationship, God forbid, uh, that would be definitely a justification for some sort of an overlapping relationship, Um but taking that out of the equation, uh, if if you are just in a normal relationship that is not working out and you start something or you start messaging some, you know, it's not always, it's not always overt, but it weighs on the soul just the same. All right. Yeah, because I know I know the justifications you make for your your little overlap. Right. It's like, no, Ted's just. Ted's just a friend. No, Samantha, she's just my friend. She's my friend. She's texting me at 1 a.m. saying, LOL, I'm drunk with 18 Ks because she's my friend. Yeah, she's sending me pictures of her outfits, but that's because I'm her buddy. That's what you would do with a buddy. You would send pictures of yourself to your buddy. That's what I do with my buddy. And we lie, don't we? We lie, we lie, lie, lie to ourselves, to our partners, right? And uh, you know who's been responsible for this? I have, absolutely. I've I've been a culprit of uh, entertaining a conversation that should not have been entertained in a relationship. I've never cheated on someone. But that doesn't mean that you've acted perfectly in your relationships and I'm growing and I'm learning. And, you know, I, I make mistakes constantly. I do. And it feels bad. And it's good that it feels bad. It's good that it feels bad. People with all of the modern conversation, which is good, this is all good stuff about not shaming yourself and not blaming yourself into the dirt and not self-flagellating to the point where you can't make positive changes in your life. Those are all good conversations, but some people take advantage of them. Some people will say, sure, I've overlapped this relationship. I've been talking to this guy that I've been fantasizing about dating for five months, but I'm not going to be so hard on myself. <laughs> I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be mean to myself. Uh, listen, don't be mean to yourself. But change the actions, okay? P 
probably the answer is get out of the relationship you're in right now. Now, 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 I, I want to go back because I said this previously. If you are in a relationship that there is an external factor uh, that is leading you to not be able to exit that relationship, obviously that's a different case, different scenario. But I'm saying in a relationship, two people on equal footing, right? Uh, everything's normal, everything's healthy to an extent. No relationship is perfectly healthy, but healthy to an extent. And you uh, have overlap with that relationship. You're not the devil. You're not the worst person in the world. But you gotta fix that. Okay? You gotta fix that. And that's not just for the people that you're hurting, although it is for them. It's for you too. That sort of behavior is the sort of behavior that takes away the special parts of a relationship that's good. When you eventually do get with somebody that you're interested in, you're 100% in, that stuff will weigh on your soul. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Okay? So, is there excuses? Yes, absolutely. There, There is absolutely exclusive, uh, excuses. Um, but... I would go ahead and say, usually, usually, you should take account of yourself if you have overlap in relationships. What is the best dish soap? I don't have an opinion on this uh, because I have not gained a sponsor in the dish soap category yet. However, whichever dish soap pays me to advertise on this podcast, that will be the best dish soap ever, okay? That will be the best dish soap of all time. That will be the best dish soap I've ever used, seen, and uh, it will make me very, very happy to uh, use. Um, but yeah, going. Uh, we have a few comments in the chat about... Uh, we don't have any questions, but we have a lot of comments about the overlapping relationship thing. Um, so... Let me go a little bit further with that before we move to another question. Uh, if anyone has an advice uh, advice question, throw it in the chat. There's a lot of shame when it comes to doing the wrong thing in a relationship. And a lot of that shame comes from a place that I like to call the pit. Let me explain the pit. I the pit has been a very helpful uh like basically a a device that I use sometimes to uh talk about a very specific emotional state that people can get in. So, and this has different words. There's a word for it in poker. I don't know if it's the pit, but there there's some word for it. And uh there is a point in losing money in poker experts talk about this all the time. Let's say you're sitting at the table and you lose way more money than you were expecting. There's a point where you get so numb to that feeling of loss that you just lose, you, you'll go to the table and you'll be like, okay, let's put 5,000 because it stops mattering to you uh, in the short term. It's, uh, it's almost like that loss has numbed you. When, when people do things that are unethical in a relationship and you don't have uh, proper communication with your partner, that can snowball into much bigger and bigger things. So you need to be sure that you're dating someone where, let's say, you make a small faux pas. Let's say you make a little mistake. Let's say you uh, X, Y, Z. You need to, A, make sure you're a person that that person would feel comfortable enough going to if they were to make a mistake. People don't talk about that enough, but it's huge. If you, through your actions and deeds and being a solid person, can make it clear to your partner that you are uh, open to them making a... Now, that doesn't mean that you let them, like, whatever, cheat on you and do a bunch of bad... Like, set your dog on fire. You shouldn't let people do that. I am going to make a hard stance and say you should not allow people to, uh, to do that, right? But... I will say, if you can be the kind of person that other people are comfortable making mistakes around, you've really done something good and special. True, I mean that, truly. 
you have done something very good and very special because that means that person feels totally comfortable with you. And that means that that person has a completely open channel of dialogue with you. And mind you, and let me make this very clear before I keep going, I am not that person. I am not that person. I am way too harsh with my friends a lot of the time. I'm way too direct with my friends a lot of the time. And uh, I make I make a, a jerk out of myself a lot of the time. When my friends come to me and they, they're telling me about something that I think they're doing wrong, I will often be very direct, almost to a callous extent. So I'm working on that too, all right? I'm not perfect, okay? Not perfect. Not, uh, not trying to be perfect, okay? I am just a man in shorts and running shoes doing a podcast in front of some of the most powerful people in the entire world. Uh, okay, here's a question. Why is Madonna making a fool of herself on TikTok? What do you mean making a fool out of herself on TikTok? I have, I, I am unaware of Madonna's TikTok, so I, I can't really uh, make a statement on this uh, in one way or another. Uh, and as I have learned on this podcast, uh, I should not. So I will check out Madonna's uh, TikTok. Because... I mean, I, my what I am uh, what I am sort of wanting to say is she let her do whatever she wants. But if she's on TikTok, you know, espousing harmful ideas and saying that you know aliens built her deck, then maybe, maybe there's a point to be made that. Or you know what? Actually, if that was the case, I would say let also let Madonna keep the TikTok because that sounds really fun. Um. Hey, Dan, I wanted to let you know your chore rants are extremely enjoyable and have helped me explain complex concepts to myself. Thanks. You know, that's not the... That's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, The chore talk videos have been really fun to make, and they allow me a little bit more freedom to express myself. And I think what they do, if I can get a little personal is they allow people to understand that I have some form of chops as a stand-up comic, which is good. Because I think the shorter videos, while fun and good, and I still do those, obviously, you've seen many of them, uh, I don't think they uh, they kind of rope people in in the same way that the longer videos do. And uh, as a stand-up comic, obviously, I really want to sell tickets, and I want people to come out to see me live. And uh, the... Longer videos have helped with that, I think, a little bit more. I think they've helped people connect a little bit more and understand who I am a little bit more and want to co- go buy tickets to shows a little bit more. So thank you so much for that. <clears throat> How to call out a friend that doesn't self-reflect on their role in conflicts with other? Whoa. Whoa. There's a question. Is it worth doing? There is a question. A friend that doesn't self-reflect on the role in their conflicts with others. This is actually something I wanted to make a longer video about. That's so crazy that you ask about this specifically because I I've been uh, mulling around with this. I you know with the writing and performing that I do. A lot of the times I'll get an idea stuck in my head and it'll just kind of rattle around my bl- brain for a while and sometimes it becomes stand-up and sometimes it doesn't, right? So when I get an idea stuck up there, I, it kind of like rolls around and ruminates and I start seeing it reflected in my day-to-day life. And this is something I've seen reflected in my day-to-day life very often. There are people whose communication style and their way of dealing with the world around them is to see themselves as the absolute hero and others as the absolute villain. And let me tell you, this is a really telling sign that someone is not going to be chilled to hang out with. If Now, self-esteem is one thing. If you believe in yourself, if you think you're right, if you think you're good, that's all fine. That's all fine. If every story you tell about a conflict with someone else is they are completely wrong and they are completely a jerk and I am completely right and I am smart and good and beautiful and awesome in every single possible way, in those conflicts, in general, that's fine. But in those conflicts, I don't trust you. I don't 
trust you. You need to have a little bit of self-reflection and sometimes even a little bit of self-deprecation. Too much self-deprecation is bad, okay? I think a lot of people have gone way too far into the area of self-deprecation and they've gone into a place of no return, right? But whenever I'm talking to somebody and they... uh, they're always the hero of their story. They're never doing anything wrong. They're never taking accountability for causing conflict. They're never they're never the they're never the person in the wrong ever. And now I've had I've had conflicts where I am correct in having conflict with these people. I have had conflicts where I uh, am justified in my behavior. I tell those sor- stories as such. I've also had conflicts where I am just wrong I just do the wrong thing I mess up uh usually when you're in a conflict the other person messes up too when two adults are yelling at each other it's usually not a smart choice for either of them but boy oh boy oh boy if you're always the person, like I, I've, I've messed up in relationships, I've messed up in friendships, I've done the wrong thing, many, many times, and I try to be very open about that. And if, if someone I'm, I'm communicating with, doesn't have that understanding of themselves, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you. And that's not just because I'm bored in the moment. I think it's a sign of something much greater. I think it's a sign of like probably a general lack of responsibility. I think it's a sign of general uh, egotism if that is a word that might be a dan word let's egotism can can we uh can we take a quick look and see if egotism is just a dan word but uh is it worth doing if you're a really good friend with this person absolutely because that's really important for them to understand um they may not be receptive to it uh conflict with friends is always a tricky subject because you never know uh, if it's the right or wrong thing to do. I would say definitely sleep on it for a little bit. See if it comes up, and maybe you can bring this sort of thing up organically in the moment. That That's usually not a bad uh, way to go about it. But if this is your friend and you care about it and it's uh, affecting the friendship, you should tell them because if they're not the kind of person that can receive that sort of information, maybe they're not the kind of person you want to be friends with. Um, but great question. Uh, this may have been already asked in a different AMA, but how did you decide to do stand-up comedy? It was that that that's been asked in a different AMA, but I, you know, when a question has already been asked, I like to go in a different direction with it. If that is okay, if 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 you don't mind, I was at the uh, comedy store last night, and I love the comedy store. It's one of my favorite places. It is such a great place to sit and watch stand-up comedy, and. Anthony Jeselnik goes up. Anthony Jeselnik is a devilishly handsome, slow-talking, low-voiced man who's a incredible joke writer. Great joke writer. Just such a sharp joke writer. Has such a unique cadence. Is just like kind of a all-around, in my mind, solid stand-up. And he does, he does a joke that I think, and I don't want to blow the joke uh, at all. I would never want to tell a comics joke. But he do, does a joke that got me thinking, basically about like the amount of times people talk about how hard it is to do stand-up these days and how sensitive people are. Let's go from the premise... Because I don't know if it's true, but let's let's just take the premise. Mind you, I'm not I'm not making a stance here specifically, but let's take the premise that people are more sensitive today than they were 30 years ago. I feel like if you're a stand-up comic, that shouldn't really bother you, right? Because the things that that sort of sensitivity is affecting are potential industry jobs, right? Like it'll if you want a TV show, it'll it'll definitely affect that. If you want to act in general, it'll affect that. If you want XYZ, it'll affect that. 
But if you want to be a stand-up comic, it's like you have. There is a level of. I mean this. This is uh, this is me getting maybe like a little bit up my own keister, and I apologize for that. But I think there is like a level of responsibility that you have to kind of be like, well, people might not like this, and that's they're not wrong for that. People might just not like the thing that I'm doing, right? That's just a a potential people could very I mean people listening right now might hate my comedy quote unquote whatever but it it got me thinking about that and how like over overused that conversation is especially on stage now like have have comics uh you know been thrown under the bus at certain times for reasons that I personally don't think are necessarily justified sure absolutely sure but even if that does happen it's like yeah well you you picked you picked a job that has that like where that's kind of a potential outcome for the job so that's that's kind of just how it is um so great question sorry if i went in a different uh direction than you thought but uh hey that's how that's how the beautiful podcast rolls all right um hey Dan, do you believe in the hot crazy ratio women theory? Oh, 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 okay. Um the hot crazy ratio theory. Uh I remember seeing a uh do you know that was the kind of thing that dads love sharing on Facebook? If you're not familiar with the video, I'm not going to do a good job explaining it. But basically, it's a guy with, like, a graph, and he shows that, like, the hotter a woman is, the, like, or the crazier a woman is, the more hot she has to be for you to date her. And then he made one for guys, too, where it's, like, whatever. I mean, it's... Do I believe it? No. And also, I do... there. There's a form of, of comedy that I can only refer to as Facebook comedy. Um, it's comedy that is maybe, let's say, a little bit dated, a little bit, uh, a little bit done before, let's say. Now, mind you, I do think that, uh, sometimes, like, it's refreshing to see sort of dated comedy. That's why I like being on Facebook sometimes, because I'll see a joke and I'll be like, oh, I mean, I've seen this kind of joke before. But uh, I haven't seen it in a while because I just I, I aren't am not exposed to that side of but whatever. But um, it's fine. It's fine if you like that sort of stuff. I don't think it makes you a bad person. Uh, it's just kind of for me. Uh, it's the kind of thing my dad would share to the family group chat, and uh, anything that your dad is into that, and he would share it to the family group chat. You kind of get soured on it. You know what I mean? We, I think that's I think that's healthy. Oh, someone just very thankfully let me know that egotism is a real word. I'm a nerd. Don't say that about yourself and couldn't help but googling it. Definition is the practice of talking and thinking about oneself excessively because of an undue sense of self-importance. Interesting. Okay, so that that is kind of uh, what I'm talking about in a way. You're not a nerd for looking that up. Hey, listen to me. Listen, and I'm talking directly to the chat right now. And I love talking directly to the chat. If you're listening to this uh, after the fact, I hope that you enjoy me talking directly to the chat too because the chat is live. We are live right now. This is a symbiotic relationship. Now, nerdiness is not necessarily a negative thing, right? It's not a bad thing. It's a, in fact, the, the meaning of the word has changed so drastically, so intensely. It may be the most, it might be the most changed word in popular, it's so changed. It's one of the most changed words in popular use. I'll say that. Because it used to be really, really bad to be nerdy, I feel. Like, I, it used to be, like, a really negative thing. You used to really not want to. And now I think people caught on to the fact that it... 
I would like to see the definition of nerdiness because back in the day, it had a very specific context of like a bookish person who is very adept at uh, any like a practice of the mind and not of the body. But now there'll be guys who can deadlift like 300 pounds and be like, I'm a nerd, which they very well may be. But it's very difficult to uh, to keep and track with that word. It did. It, go, it went from an insult to a compliment, which is really interesting for a word because uh, a lot of times words will go from descriptors to insults. That's the normal, the normal kind of procession of a word is it will go from a, dis, uh, a descriptor to an insult. Nerd very well could have been one of those words where we just kind of stopped using in general because it was hurtful, but instead it became this positive thing. Which is very, very interesting. It's a very, very interesting thing that uh, we we kind of claim reclaim that word. And I do wonder, I do wonder how broad it's become because I I will say this about the word nerd, and not to go off on a tangent, but that's this whole podcast. Um, if I were to say that, like talk about the nerdiest people I know, I would say a lot of them are kind of guys who go to the gym a lot. A lot of people are going to be really mad at me for saying that, but I it, I will stick by it because if I'm talking like people who are really into numbers and uh, arguing like the minute details of a esoteric thing, weight room guys are huge nerds. Like if you're just generally athletic, you. You could probably get by with being pretty unnerdy, right? You go to the gym, you bench press as much as you can, you eat a, a steak, you eat a full ham hock, and then you walk out of the gym. You eat the ham hock in the gym. That's who you are. You're eating the ham hock using the bench press as a plate. But if you're like massive, I've known a f two or three people that I would consider massive, like 230, 240, 5'11 to 6 feet tall just all muscle those guys are nerds those guys are those guys are nerds with pecs okay oh we're having a bit of a disagreement in the chat um about the word nerd but that's okay hey we can we can have disagreements what is the most memorable tangent that you ever went on oh that's such a Funny question, because I do have an answer that seems like the kind of question that's too specific to have an answer for. Um, I can be a bit of a nightmare on dates. Not in the sense that I'm, like, uh, mean or rude. I don't think I'm either of those things. But I can uh, bring the conversation to a territory that for a lot of people can be a little bit uncomfortable, Right. Like if we're talking about uh, sports, I I mean we'll like I can really bring the conversation to like like I I don't know it it must be my family or whatever but I, my ability to turn a conversation into an argument is so powerful is so incredibly strong uh it's like un unrivaled uh so I was uh I was talking to this woman. And she was talking about oh man. I I hope she doesn't see this, but may, obviously I won't. I won't be descriptive. But there's an off chance that she sees this. So just know by me telling you this story, I'm taking a huge risk in my life. There was a woman I was on a date with, and uh, normal date, normal date stuff. She talks about what she's been up to. Uh, she said she's been campaigning for a politician. I go. That's very interesting. Uh, what kind of politician, what platforms was he interested in, da-da-da. And, and she talked about a platform that, and I'm paraphrasing this platform, but it is so wild. And mind you, she, she just opened this up by being like, oh, I was on the campaign trail. So I could I have and should have just been like, oh, that's interesting, and then just moved on. I could have done that, but I didn't. I didn't do that. She says, I was just on the campaign trail. I said, what are the what are the platforms that you're interested in? She said, well, there's this one that's really interesting. She goes on to describe uh, the... It's 
basically one of those things that's called one thing, but it's totally another thing. Uh, it's it's something about like the the parents are choosing where their kids get to go to school, but that's actually not what it, the parents aren't choosing. She was saying that she was interested in this platform that this politician was pushing where kids test. They like basically test. And if they test well, they go to a good school in like a rich area. And if they test poorly, they go to a bad school in a poor area. And now as a child who is in special ed, you could see where I may have some issues with this platform, right? First of all, I think that in a lot of ways, a child's abilities in school, especially at a very young age, is due to a lot of factors outside of the child, right? I think that has a lot to do with the parents. I think that has a lot to do with the environment you're brought up with. If you're eight years old, I don't think you have a lot of say in, uh, let's say, how much time you have to study. If you're in a very loud house, if you get home late due to how far you have to travel for school or who can pick you up, there's just a lot of things going on. And when she said that, let's just say the date turned... You ever get into an argument and you feel like it's a car skidding? Right? You ha Have you ever gotten into an argument where you know you shouldn't be in the argument because of the situation you are in? Right? You shouldn't be arguing with the host at Denny's. You should be trying to get a table and sitting down. You shouldn't be arguing on a first date with someone. Even if you disagree with something they say, you should let it go and then just not text that person later or just let them text them later and let them know, hey, I don't feel a lot of chemistry. I didn't do that. You know I didn't do that. I started, I mean, I, I was, I said a couple of funny things. I, uh, I started, I started, mocking the idea that an eight-year-old should pull himself up by his bootstraps <laughs> she was literally like pull yourself up by your velcro shoes <laughs> it was such a funny and i was just like you just think that's normal but some people do i mean that's the thing if you're if you're meeting someone for the first time it's like chances are they're nuts because most people are nuts but it was just like I mean, it just, it hit a little bit too uh, personal. It hit a little bit too close to home for me, that uh, that specific one. Um, But yeah, that, that was very, that, that was a tangent I definitely didn't need to go on. What are your thoughts on the lies of omitting as a character trait? I'm not talking about the forgot to tell you. Like they lie, then they confess and you have to judge their character. Well, uh, that's a that's a tough. Uh, oh, they give you a large lie of omission. Then when they confess, you have to decide if uh, you have truly been honest with them. Okay, so basically, what you're saying. Sorry, it took me a second there. You were saying, how do you feel about people who lie with omission? So that's basically. This is a polarized version of it, but let's say I'm at I'm at a bar and I see um a woman Stacy and we sit down and we have like a whatever hour long conversation and uh Stacy's my friend's ex, right? And then um my friend goes, uh, oh, like you were at the bar last night. I heard Stacy was there and then you say, Yeah, I saw her. It's not technically a lie because you did see her, but you know there is information there that would be pertinent for the person to know that you chose to not give them. If lying was a ladder, the rung of omission is one step below, and it's still right there at the top. So I, I it's, it's tough. It's tough. Because it is a form of lying, but a person can wriggle out of it if they are annoying enough. Okay? If they argue 
in an annoying enough way they can wriggle out of omitting information to you. And that's a really tough spot to be in as a person. It's really tough for someone to just weasel their way out of like taking responsibility for what they're doing. You got to pin them down. When someone's lying by omission, you got to pin them down. And this is a situation where emotions are uh, are not a bad thing. If you are clear with them that this hurt you, it will kind of, hopefully, if they're not a sociopath, it will break through the kind of wall of semantics that they're building up. So feel free to let this person know that it hurt them. Okay? Feel free to let this person know that uh, that they made you feel bad. Okay? Don't be afraid of that. Some some of the best conversations I've ever had came from somebody telling me that something I did made them feel bad. Have you ever written a joke that didn't work as stand-up but might work in a different medium? Maybe as a sketch, for example. If so, what joke was it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a joke about uh, how when guys live in an apartment... Uh, they do such bare minimum when it comes to furnishing that apartment. They will generally have one of something that they should have multiple of. Like, uh, let me let me think here. Like, they'll have one plate. You know? Like, if guys live together in a shared apartment, they'll have one plate. And then they'll get into these insane arguments where it's like, Ted, you used the plate last night. <laughs> Um, I made that into a sketch about, uh, about three guys that want to go on a date, but, uh, one of them, I, I, man, I miss miss making sketches as I'm explaining this, you're making me wistful and miss making sketches, but, uh, all three of them have dates that night. And so they, they, uh, they need to decide who gets the shoes because they all only have one pair of shoes. So, uh. That was, yeah, I tried doing it on stage as stand-up, but it just didn't work as well in the explanation process. Um, I saw, this is a comment, I saw part of your stand-up on Don't Tell Comedy, and the comments were all about you being the love child of Henry Cavill and Freddie Mercury or Superman with a mullet. Uh, thought you'd get a kick out of that. Oh, if you don't think I'm reading the comments under my Don't Tell set every single day... You are out of your mind. You are out. I I refresh the comments. I have very possibly, and this is not an exaggeration. This is going to sound crazy, and I'm okay sounding crazy. I may have seen every single comment that has been, and there's like hundreds of comments. I may have read every single comment on my don't tell. Many of them are very positive. Many of them are saying things like, I look like the love child of Henry Cavill and Freddie Mercury. Um, and that makes me feel very good. It does. I appreciate that. Some people have asked me, do I feel as though it's objectification? I don't necessarily think so. I think that a lot of people, when they uh, see something, the first thing you're going to comment on is what it looks like. It's sort of getting into the subconscious of people's brains. I think a lot of the time, uh, the first impression you get of someone is the way that they look, and you're going to comment on that if you're not tethered by the social norms of having to be in front of a person. So I I, I accept fully that people are going to make comments about um, the way I look, whatever. It, it, it's I, it's fine. Sometimes, every now and again, one will happen. I'm like, that's I don't like that at all. But it's like when I was trying to start the Patreon, basically, which now the Patreon's really rocking and rolling. I'm very happy with the way it is. I do an extra episode of the live uh, on Sunday, every Sunday. Uh, if you want to join that Patreon, the link is below. But when I started the Patreon, I got so many comments where people were like, oh, you're finally starting the spicy page, which means you're making adult content. And it, like one of those I'm fine with, but then like after a hundred, I just, it kind of just made me mad that people were so unoriginal. Truly, that that was the thing I was most mad about is like, none, none of you thought, hey, maybe I should doll this up a little bit, but yeah, so that, that was how I felt about that basically. Um, Let's see here. How much of your comedy is based on stuff that happens to you and how much is based on concepts that sound funny to you? That's a really 
profound question. Um, well, I guess a lot of the stuff that happens to me uh, tends to sort of make me feel like uh, this could be a joke. There's something interesting there. So I, w- I would say it's maybe half and half. Like I, It's usually concepts that branch off of something that happened to me. Does that make sense? My stand-up is usually a concept that happens because something happens to me and then it reveals a concept. A lot of my jokes are like that. Some of my jokes are just stupid things. Some of my jokes are just dumb things that I think about. But uh yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good question. Um and uh yeah, I, I would say you don't wanna lock yourself into a format too heavily like that too. Like you don't wanna back yourself into a corner where it's like all my jokes are political or all my jokes are about my life experience. Like I I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever kinda comes to mind. You know what I mean? Um, well, that was the last question. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, I'm going to be doing this very regularly. I post all of the audio up on Spotify afterwards. This video will be up in a little bit, uh, after it processes. Please check out the link tree below. It has my stand updates. It has all my other, uh, the other things that, you know, Patreon, Cameo, if you're interested in the Cameo. Um, but most of all, thank you for watching. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's that's one all very staunchly. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you all so much for watching, uh, and have a good one.